But in preparation for our study each week, just a few things to know, just a few things I think will be really helpful as you study the the workbook and, and go through the lessons together. Well, first of all is the workbook itself. So, and I see you, you have it. That That's really good. Um, so bring, bring that with you. You'll, you'll note that sometimes we're going to stop on some of the fill in the blanks. Sometimes we won't. But I think more than anything, the blanks are for you in your personal study. So if bring your workbook and your Bible would, would be really good. The second thing you can do is, is each week, there are 13 chapters, you can download a message from John MacArthur that is relevant to this particular lesson that he preached in previous years. It, it really does help. So you can go to gty.org forward slash FOF, and it's in your book. But that's also really helpful for, for each week. And then third thing for the class that I think is very beneficial is the memorization of the verses. I'm not going to hold your feet to the fire on it. Uh, that's between you and your time and how you want to handle that. But I think you'll find even when memorizing can be challenging, it can also be very, very good. It yields a lot of benefits. Anybody in class ever feel like memorizing is hard? Yeah, I do too. Repetition is the key when we're committed to it. If we don't commit to it, then repetition won't matter. But if one commits to it, then doing it over and over and over is is the way to, to really bring it to your thoughts. And there are a few things that memory verses will do that I think is really helpful in the Christian life. It offers guidance and wisdom when we're apart from our Bible and we are talking with somebody or we're just by ourselves. It also is really good. It helps us with sin and it helps us with temptation. It helps us know from truth and error, which is one of the number one things that's difficult for any church is recognizing what's right and what's not. It can Memorization can help us who God is and why He does what He does. And there are a lot of things that the Lord does that does not logically fit to our thinking. And I think it helps increase our faith when we memorize. Because when it's recalled, as you memorize things, you'll note that you'll run across verses that says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And your fruitfulness comes from me when God speaks. And so when we have anything that's fruitful or spiritual, I can use that word, you'll go back and think, okay, the only reason that I'm remembering that is because the Bible teaches that I can't do anything in a spiritual sense apart from the Lord Himself. And that causes worship and thankfulness. So those three things that I think will really, really help in our time together is have your workbook ready, if you can, each week. Bring the Bible. There's a download to listen to. Number two and number three is the memorization of each week's verse. So with all that said, turn to page seven in your workbook, and we're going to look at chapter one tonight, Introduction to the Bible. And our memory verse is a classic. It's one of those verses that 
if I can remember it and I believe it, the Bible will flow from there. If I don't remember it and I maybe not believe it or some of it I don't believe or kind of mostly believe it but not completely, this will help you and me with, okay, what does the Bible say when we get into questions like that? the Lord will bring this to your mind. Well, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine and reproof and correction and training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. It'll come to mind because that issue is always, is the Bible true? It's always the issue in your conversation with your family, friends, co-workers, neighbors, maybe sometimes even with yourself. Maybe you'll run across something or I'll run across something and somebody may say something that I didn't think is what the Bible said and they may lead something to the conversation to put in doubt in our minds. Well, well, it was written by men. Men are fallible. But what does the Bible say? All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Not some, not part, not most but all of it. I know that seems very simple, very common in a church like ours. That's not common. To live life long enough and profess to be a believer in the Lord Jesus, you and I will be challenged on the validity of the Bible. We will be challenged. Because if somebody's not saved, who is that unbeliever representing? He's representing the wicked one. He's representing the devil, 1 Timothy 4, representing the doctrine of demons. There's two answers. It's either from God or it's from the devil. So this verse is so important. So let's take a look at it. Just for a few minutes, just, just, let's just look at it because I think it's just going to open up a little bit more other than just how it looks. All Scripture is inspired by God. Inspiration, we'll talk about that in a little bit more detail. But for right now, it's God-breathed. Inspiration or inspired is God-breathed. Not the men were inspired but the writings are inspired. So when someone said that Paul was inspired to write the Bible, that is an incorrect statement. All Scripture is inspired by God. It's right there. And it says it's profitable for teaching. Profitable meaning useful, beneficial. So all Scripture is God's breathed and it's beneficial for what? Teaching for doctrine. Teaching is doctrine. Do you remember the verse in Romans 4? Paul says, You obeyed from the form of doctrine you received. What was the doctrine? Inspired doctrine. So the Bible is profitable for doctrine. Basically, 
That's what's right. Doctrine from the Bible is right. What else is it good for? For reproof? The Bible is to show us of what is not right. It tells us when somebody says something about an error of doctrine, when you and I study and we read it together, put it to memory, and think about it, we're going to hear somebody being wrong. The Bible teaches us not only for doctrine and for correction, for teaching, or I'm sorry, for reproof, but also for correction. It, it tells us this is not only right, this is what's not right. It also says this is how to get it right. It doesn't leave us there with no instructions on how to think correctly. And when it says for training in righteousness, that's basically saying, then this is how to stay right. So it's for right, what's not right, how to get it right, how to stay right. I know you know that. The more we speak of the truth in our own thoughts and to other people, the more we'll be challenged on that verse. Because Jesus said, narrow is the path that leads to everlasting life. If you find it, what's the other path? Wide. How many find it? Many. So many are going to also have using that principle to that. Have you ever even been in a Bible study? A church? Church members? And somebody innocently could say something incorrect with doctrine? Of course. And there's sometimes people knowingly say incorrect things because they don't believe it. As a friend once told me once, he said, I know you're going in to visit with some people. He said, I'm going to pray for you to not get caught flat-footed. I go, what, what do you mean? Because there's going to probably be some things in there said that you're going to have to talk through knowing what they had talked about before. Let me encourage you that way. When you're in a conversation, ask the Lord to help you to not be caught flat-footed. Memorization will help you with that when you can recall it when people are saying certain things. So, as you'll see, that's our memory verse. It's so foundational to the Christian life. The Bible means a book. The Bible is a, is a role. It's something given to us. And apart from God Himself, it's the greatest treasure we have. That's why many churches in Russia never put their books on the floor, their Bibles on the floor. It's the greatest treasure that we have. Donald Gray Barnhouse, he was an American preacher in Philadelphia, said this, The shortest road to an understanding of the Bible is the acceptance of the fact that God is speaking in every line, unquote. That's a good way to start when you and I read our Bibles. God is speaking to me. Charles Spurgeon said this, The Bible speaks to you 
in the very tones of God's voice. And Martin Luther said, you are so to deal with the scriptures that you bear in mind that God himself is saying this. Those are good quotes because they, they tie in to 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Look in your workbook. It says the Bible is the word of God. It claims to be truth. The message from God to man. 2 Peter 1.21 says that men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. The scriptures were written by approximately 40 different men in several different countries from around 1400 B.C. to A.D. 90 in three languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. Despite this vast variety, God moved the writers to focus on His glory and man's redemption with Jesus as the central figure. So as you, as you and I read, the Bible is true, it comes from God, and the focal point is the Lord Jesus Himself. In the Old Testament, through ceremonies and types and sacrifices, and in the New Testament, His first advent and eventually His second coming. Any questions? Any thoughts on that? I want to take a pause here just for a second. And I want to go a little bit further with how we got our Bible, how it became ours. Because that is challenged often. Let's just take a look at it real quick. Okay, it's going to be up here on the screen. How our Bible came to us. Well, you know the Bible is the best-selling book of all time, right? Yeah. And it's sold about 1.1 billion copies. It, it sure is. It does. I want to go back. It's 5 to 7 billion is the Bible. Then other best-selling books like um, Mousy Tongue, that's 1 billion um, the Quran, 800 million. The Bible is 5 billion to 7 billion. About 100 million Bibles are sold annually around the world. Why is it? Why is it the number one book? Well, because people know it's from God Himself. Where did it come from? We read here, it's all scriptures given by God, but where did it come from? If you were asked to give an account to, okay, the Bible says it's true, where to come from? How would you answer that? Let's look at this a little bit here. Maybe there'll be a couple of things that will help you as, as we go through it here. Here's how it came to us. Words and thoughts had to start somewhere. Right? That words and thoughts have to start somewhere. And it did in the mind of God. For the Lord is a God of knowledge. One who is perfect in knowledge. As we jump ahead to chapter 3, in the attributes of God, we'll learn about His 
infinite knowledge and his perfect nature. But with that said, he has infinite knowledge. The knowledge you and I have is just a piece of God's knowledge from the Bible. How did God get his thoughts to others? Through revelation. Revelation is basically an unveiling or releasing of God's thoughts. He has them. He's going to release them. How did He do that? He released His special revelation through two ways. The Bible and the Lord Jesus. The Bible is the written Word of God. Jesus is the living Word of God. And so, remember when Jesus said, if you've seen Me, you've seen the Father. So when we read the Bible, those are God's thoughts, and Jesus displayed them to the people around Him. And, and now we have the written record of it. So from that revelation... It has to go to the author's human minds. God has it. He's going to disclose it. How does He get it into people's minds? He has to get it there, right? He did that through inspiration. That is our verse for tonight. God breathed. All Scripture is inspired by God. He, he, he breathed them. It's an act of the Holy Spirit in which he superintended the writings of Scripture. The writers did not take dictation from the Holy Spirit. The writers just didn't write what the Holy Spirit wanted. The Bible says in, in 2 Peter, men moved by God, men moved by the Spirit. How did that work? I don't know. But as you'll notice as you read through the Bible, you'll find vocabulary from different writers, um, how they would express their thoughts. They had different emotions. But the superintending of the Spirit moved these men to get the revelation from God's thoughts into their thoughts when they wrote. So they produced God's Word, trustworthy, free from error in the original writings. Then the writing of Scripture came from God and inspired to produce the original manuscripts of the Bible. So God is here from all eternity. He chose the time in which He would create. He revealed those through inspiration and they wrote on original manuscripts. As you look at your Bible that's opened right now, those are copies which is another reason why people will say, well, it's been written by men and it's been copied by men. So therefore, it's not trustworthy. And as we go through the Bible, you'll see that as it continues to reveal itself on how God preserved His Word, that's exactly what He did. He preserved it through men into the original manuscripts. That's the claim of the Bible. That's its claim. 
The Bible claims to be from God. So do you believe that? The Bible is a completely, entirely unique book. It stands alone. And the unique claims within the Bible itself bear witness to its unusual character. As I mentioned before, the Bible will say things like God said or thus says the Lord. Those two phrases combined in Scripture are recorded over 3,800 times. 3,800 times the Bible will say God said. The Lord said. Another thing is Paul also recognized that the things he was writing were the Lord's commandments in 1 Corinthians 14.37. He knew. And they were acknowledged by other believers. 1 Thessalonians 2.13. Here's what that verse says. Paul writing to the Thessalonians. When you receive the Word of God, which you first heard from us, you did not receive it as the Word of men, but as it is in truth. The Word of God and this, which effectively works in those who believe. Other believers recognized it because they believed. Peter proclaimed the certainty of Scriptures and that they were certain and unalterable in 2 Peter 1, 16-21. Do you remember Peter was on the Mount of Transfiguration and he saw the Lord Jesus transfigured? Remember that? He saw that. He said in 2 Peter 1, that the Bible is more sure than that. I have a more sure word. And he saw it. He goes, I don't trust my testimony. Here's what the word says. So he recognized it. John too recognized it. In 1 John 4, 6. He saw that the teaching was from God. So that's, that's the claim of the Bible from the manuscripts. Okay, so from inspiration to the manuscripts came the work of which Bible verses were to be included or which books were to be included in the Bible. It's called canonicity, the, the canon. Have you heard of the apocryphal books? Mm -hmm. The Roman Catholic Bible has books that are not included in the Protestant Bible. Okay, why? Has to be a reason. Well, I think we have to go back to canon. What does canon mean? Canon is basically to describe the inspired books. We have to start there. And it's a study of the inspiration of the biblical writing. It's, it's a study of these writings. It, it's the rule of faith. It's, it's the measuring rod of the Christian faith. So in a canon, canonicity, there's a rule that takes place from these books that have been written. How do we know what are sacred writings and which ones weren't? Three rules. 
that these men followed. Really important. And this is how we get the canon of our Bible. There are widely recognized principles to validate the result of divine revelation and inspiration. Here they are. First of all, the writing has to be from a recognized prophet or apostle or someone associated to an apostle or prophet, like Mark or like, like Luke. Luke was a friend of who? Paul. He was Paul's physician. So they have to have a recognized prophet or apostle as its author. Second, they couldn't contradict or disagree any previous scripture. So the writings are in place. Was it from a prophet or apostle? Does it contradict previous writings? That's number two. And then the third part, that's, that's so important, It is a general consensus by the church. It had to have a consensus by the church, relating particularly that it was a canon of the book and recognized as such what God had already written. If you can keep those things in mind, and I can too, when it comes to apocryphal books, like there's a second book of James, First and Second Maccabees, the Book of Wisdom, those are all false books in a sense of they weren't inspired. Okay? From there, from the canon, came the collection of the 66 books in the Bible. How many books are there in the Old Testament? That's, you, that is, it is the New Testament, it's 27. 39. 39 in the Old Testament. So there's the collection of our 66 books in, in which we have. From there comes textual criticism. Simply textual criticism examines biblical manuscripts and their context to what the original text said. They're being very critical of it. That's the term critical of the text textual criticism and they're looking at the authenticity of the text and they're also looking at words of a document not the value of the document okay because God speaks in words they're looking at the validity of the words And so with that, they wanted to be sure that the Bible, original manuscripts, were copied accurately. Somebody just didn't come in and say, you know, I'm thinking I need something to do. And Do you have any manuscripts I can copy for a couple hours? No, there, there's more to it than that. Much more. Which led to modern Greek and Hebrew Bibles because of how they were copied accurately. Which led to translations from one language to another. Where we get our modern English versions. 
So see the progression? It's very orderly, very succinct, very perfect. Even to textual criticism to the 66 books, to the Hebrew books, to our modern English versions. So how do we even understand with all that said what even the Bible says? How do we understand what's written down? How does that flow get to you and me? Okay, i got a Bible. I've got my English version Bible. I can read it. Okay. How do we know what it says? How do we comprehend it? Through illumination and interpretation. That by the power of the Spirit, He puts those thoughts in our mind of understanding as we read. You ever come across a verse and you're reading along and and you think, well, I've read that before. You know what? That makes sense. Or say, okay, that's clear. That's illumination. That's what it is. The believer is engaged, which leads to putting those thoughts in your mind. When somebody gets angry, could be at work, could be in a family, could be in the neighborhood, could be at church, been in all those situations. Somebody gets angry, okay? From reading the Bible, the Bible is instructing me, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up strife. Okay, the, the Lord is using that, put it in my mind, I put it to memory, and now I'm thinking of it. I, I need to not speak harshly. I need to have a soft answer. Because the believer's engaged, and that leads to application. Putting to use what's been shown. You know what the mark of a Christian is? Very simple. Very, very simple. One of the greatest marks of a Christian is his or her constant (coughs) obedience to what the Bible says and following the Lord. Of course we don't follow it perfectly, but it's a constant, continuing mark of the Christian that's following his ways. Believing and trusting the Scriptures shows up in a very tangible way. This way, change lives. For people who've been saved later in life, there's a contrast from the previous life to the new life because it's changed. It's changed. And that shows up when we are illumined by the Scriptures and we understand it. It's always evidence. And there's another one of evidence of a, of a Christian is this. Communication. We tell others. We tell people. Some people have the gift to evangelize. And you think, boy, they make that look easy. But whatever the Christian's measure is for that, Every Christian will tell somebody about the Lord. They'll communicate it 
some time. Even if it's when they're within their own family or their kids. They'll communicate it. Just through their actions. Pardon me? Just through their actions, they can communicate it. They can through the communication, through their actions, and through words. Got to have words. Okay? So there you go. That's how the Bible came to us. And you can see it there. Questions? I know we went beyond chapter 1, but I wanted to. Because I wanted to give us um, just some additional thoughts on how our Bible came to us. And if you turn to page 14 in your workbook, you'll see how it came to us there too. This is a little bit different, so we get both. between words so you had to figure out where one word stopped and the next word started but you had to be able to discern that I mean as you were mm -hmm. as you were copying it down so you had to obviously uh, had to have your act together when you, when you said I, I'll, 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 I'll do this for a couple of hours <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> can you read this? Oh, I, I can read Hebrew. But can you read Hebrew if you don't have any vowels and don't have any spaces in between the words? It was, it was, it was kind of almost like a code. Yeah. That yeah. Was there that you couldn't? If you want to mess it up, you couldn't mess it up. <laughs> if you were, if you knew what you were doing, you had to do it right. But anyway, that's was, good, Roy. And no more. Introduced us to a young man that, when he went to get his masters, this kid knew Hebrews like the back of his hand, and. Or thought he was so smart. 
because Bert didn't know anything about Hebrews. <laughs> he could look at the back of his hand and it was blank. <laughs> and that kid, he said he helped me get through Hebrews class. Otherwise, I'd have, you know, never passed it, let alone get a get the grade that needed to be gotten to stay in school. And then later on, a year or two later, when they were working on writing sermons and what to say and what, what to, to figure out what was being said in scripture so that you needed to tell your the uh, audience that you were talking to, he said, he just, he struggled with that. Mm-hmm. And he says, oh, yeah. well, I thought you were the smartest person in the world, what's the deal, you know? So he definitely had that gift that you know, we'll talk about later, but that, and then when Bart got his doctorate out there last summer, that kid was there, and uh, he had went to some university in Jerusalem, and then came back and studied also at Harvard, mm. their school, and got his doctorate in, in Hebrews, and now he's teaching students like he and Bart were taught when they were going to school in the, in the early 2000s. But uh, it was interesting because Bart said he was just so smart with that word, with that language. But then he says, I'm just, stuff just, it just comes natural for me. I work at it, but he said it comes natural. And he said, where do you get this stuff, Bart? <laughs> and so it's, you know, Everybody's everybody's put together different, and they have their strengths. That's right. So, but I just when they were talking about it in class, no vowels. You know, I was just trying to read if you marked out the vowels, how far how far along could you get? Be pretty rough, wouldn't it? Yeah, it'd be very difficult. Yeah, or at least for my. Tiny mind. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. <clears throat> but it's, um, well, with that said, I, I want to launch off of what Roy just said about scribes and just go one more step further that I hope you'll find interesting and helpful and key points of, of the Bible based on that. So up here... You know, we saw the process of how the Bible came to us. Mm-hmm. There's some really key points to add. Um, the Old Testament was written in what? Hebrew and Aramaic. And the New Testament in Greek. Greek? Good. In 2000 BC, Old Testament events were written down over the centuries. And Mo- the Lord told Moses to write in a book, right? On leather scrolls and other materials. It wasn't paper. And they were arranged and collected and recognized as inspired by Jewish leaders and councils and, and rabbis. And according to tra- tradition, 500 B.C., Ezra collected all of them and arranged some of the books of the Hebrew Bible, which is the Old Testament. Ezra did that. 
The Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, it was translated around 250 to 100 B.C. by Jewish scholars in Alexandria, Egypt. The New Testament books were collected and circulated throughout the Mediterranean about the time of Constantine, and he legalized Christianity around 313 A.D. So Moses wrote, 1400 B.C. ended in John 95 A.D. Constantine legalized Christianity in 313 A.D. So all of these scrolls and materials were being circulated. So from there, you'll see what happened to the manuscripts. What happened to the original manuscripts? Well, they were copied. Who are they copied by? Scribes. Very, very carefully. So before the printing press in the 15th century, the Bible was copied by hand. Can you imagine that? It was copied by scribes who developed very intricate methods by counting words and letters to make sure there were no errors that had been made. So they would use words, letters, count it very slowly, all by hand. The Bible was the first book ever printed on the printing press in 1455 A.D. on the Gutenberg Press. So let's look at it this way. So the Old Testament was written, as I mentioned, basically 1500 to 400 B.C. on stone, clay, and leather. New Testament, 45 to 100 A.D. With the book of James as the oldest New Testament book. It was the first, first book written. And it was written on papyrus. It was written on a plant used to create a writing sheet. See that up there? That's the oldest New Testament fragment from John 18 that we have today. That was copied in Greek around 110 to 130 A.D., approximately 20 to 50 years, 20 to 40 years after John wrote it. That's the oldest copy we have of John 18. So where is that? I don't know where it's housed. I don't. No, I don't. Another early copy of the Bible is here. This is another image of a leaf containing the beginning of Hebrews and the end of Romans. Interesting writing, isn't it? Here's another image of the New Testament. This is the opening page and beginning of the Gospel of Matthew. This is a copy dating from A.D. 700. All very important findings of the Bible through the years, but really the most impressive one was 75 years ago when this happened. In 1947, the Dead Sea Scrolls were found, and this is one of the fragments that they found in the Qumran Caves. So if you know the story, it's really pretty interesting. Um, Qumran is located on the northwestern shore of the Dead Sea in the Jordan Desert between Jerusalem and the Dead Sea beaches. And there was a young shepherd boy who was wandering around. 
and he threw a rock in a cave and he heard something break and he went in to look and what he found there were copies, portions of the Old Testament in these clay pots. And these were copies made between 100 B.C. and A.D. 100. They traced them back through studying of just how old those documents were. A scroll of Isaiah that is part of the Dead Sea Scrolls is the oldest complete manuscript of any book in the Bible. It was found there. And remember, remember when we went through uh, the Old Testament prophets in our biblical timeline last week? So Isaiah was alive around 750 B.C., somewhere in there. They came from that, copies from that. And they were copied around 100 B.C., 600 years past Isaiah. The Dead Sea Scrolls included fragments from every book of the Old Testament except the book of Esther. The copies of Isaiah and discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls confirmed this, and here's why I'm bringing you to this point. To confirm and stabilize the validity of the Bible you and I now have. That's why. Because people would say that it's been copied, errors in place. Here's what they found. No variations from copy to copy to copy, except maybe a number here and there. Instead of 100,000, somebody might have put 10,000. But it doesn't have anything to do with basic tenets of the Christian faith, any basic tenets of doctrine from the Dead Sea Scrolls. So with all that said, the Bible's been preserved through the ages. In AD 200, the Bible was translated into seven languages. By AD 500, 13 languages. By AD 900, 17 languages. By AD 1400, 500 years later, 28 languages. And then it really blossoms. From 1800, 57 languages, to 1900, 537 languages, 1980, 1100 languages. So, according to the United Bible Societies, the Bible has been translated into more than 3,300 plus languages. And do you remember our biblical timeline from last year? What did that stem from? The Tower of Babel. Remember? The flood happened, and people spread throughout the land, and then people got prideful and they wanted to build a tower of pride. God confused them with languages. Here we go. Now you know where it comes from, and so do I. And here's what's more astonishing. According to uh, sources, there's approximately 2,200 more languages that do not have a Bible out of all these languages. So there you go. One more. William Tyndale. He was a priest and Oxford scholar, and he translated the New Testament from Greek in 1525 to what language? English. Yeah, English. Yeah, he, he would translate, and then he would smuggle those Bibles in sacks of corn and flour to get them into England so that they wouldn't be found. 
He also trans. Because he he was hated, it was it was run by the ki- the king and queen of England. And and they had their own. They wanted their own. They had their own religion. Yeah. That's what. I, yeah. Yeah. Was he martyred too? He was, he was martyred, and as a matter of fact, he was strangled and burned at the stake. And when he was there, right before he died, he said, "Lord, open the king of England's eyes." So William Tyndale is called the father of the English Bible because of his translation from the King James Version, England. So there you go. Now we got the Bible. Whenever there's a problem, God always has a plan B. (laughs) And if plan B doesn't work, C or D or E or F is going to work. One of them is going to. He's going to get it done. No and, nothing, and nothing's going to stop it, is it? Nobody's going to. I mean, the devil thinks he's going to. He's got a plan to stop it, but he doesn't. <laughs> yeah, that's it's right. It's not a, a valuable plan. It's a plan, but it's not a workable plan. That's right. Go back to page seven in your workbook, please. We're going to now zip through these. And then finish, okay? Page 7. The Old Testament, 39 books. The Pentateuch are the first five books. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Moses wrote those historical books on page 8. There are 12. Joshua, Judges, Ruth, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. Five poetic books in the Old Testament. Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon. Major prophets, there are five books. Basically, it's just because they're longer than the others. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, and Daniel. Minor prophets, there are 12. And you'll see they're written from approximately 840 B.C. to 400 B.C. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. Page 9, New Testament, 27 books, reveals Jesus as the Redeemer of men. So here's the theme. Life of Christ, way of salvation, beginning of Christianity, instruction for Christian living, and God's plan for the future. Five historical books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then the fifth is the book of Acts. In the end of John's writing, verses 30 and 31, there are two reasons given why he wrote his gospel. And this is about as clear as it can get. It says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and believing in Him, you may have life in His name. What are the two reasons? Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing in Him, you have life in His name. That's pretty clear. Pretty clear. There are 21 books that are epistles or letters 
page 10. Paul wrote 13. They are Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Timothy, Titus, and Philemon. There are eight general books, Hebrews, James, 1st, 2nd Peter, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and Jude. One prophecy book tells us how it's going to end, Revelation. So Roman numeral three, you'll see Christ in the Bible. The Old and New Testaments are seen together and portray Jesus Christ as a central figure. That's will often be the phrases and usage that we use as we go through our study. Jesus is the central figure. And it's throughout the Bible. In Luke 24, 27, Christ is seen in all the scriptures. And in John 5, 39, Jesus said, The scriptures bear witness of me. That's quite a claim. How did people view his personal features? How does the Bible describe the Lord Jesus? What did they say he looked like? Remember? Uncomely. Very common. Isaiah 53. 52 and 53. So you have a common man, didn't have the appearance of someone who would be of royalty, and he claims to be the Messiah, who happens to be the son of an illegitimate marriage, and he claims to be the eternal Son of God. So he says things like this, you search the scriptures because you believe in them, you have eternal life. It is these that testify of me, but you are unwilling to come to me that you may have eternal life. Unwilling. Okay, why do you say that? Because we're all unwilling until the Lord opens our eyes to the truth. Christ is in the Bible. Go to Roman numeral four. Why is the Bible important? You're on page 11. Because the Bible's inspired by God, that's our verse. Yep. The Bible's inspired by the Lord, all of it. Then you'll see John MacArthur's quote on page 11. How do the following verses show the importance of God's Word? 2 Timothy 3.15. Here's this, pretty clear. Makes one wise unto salvation and faith in Christ. Makes me wise. That's what the Bible does makes me wise. Or put another way, the Scriptures bring salvation only when one places their faith in Jesus because we just heard the Scriptures speak of me. And in Hebrews 4.12, what else is the importance of God's Word? It's living and... That's right. It's powerful, sharp. Page 12. What four things does God's Word do? From Psalm 19, 7 to 9. It converts or restores the soul. Just reading can convert or change the soul. And this restores the soul. It also makes one wise. That's what it does. We talked about that earlier. 
Number three, 19a, gives happiness, rejoices the heart, and brightens life. So back to page seven, we'll finish there. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. What do we believe? We believe that to be true. Where you and I land on how we believe that verse, then from there will flow what we believe about the rest of the doctrines that you hear and even what we're going to cover. Because we'll get into some doctrines that seem contradictory, but they're never contradictory. They're only contradictory to our finite, limited thinking. Okay? Next week, we're going to look at chapter 2, how to study the Bible. So if you study and look at the memory verse, 2 Timothy 2.15, and do your homework, maybe if you have time, you can listen and download the sermon. I think that will help you in preparation for next week.